Hey everybody, Brandon here. Welcome back to the show. A few notes before we begin today's episode. This is a rebroadcast. It's the last one more thing that I recorded. As this features Dr. Ashley Mofield of Mixtape Theology, where we sat down to discuss the role that music plays in shaping our theology. This episode uh, came out just before the start of the Communication and Ministry series, which was a series all about how preaching and teaching are um, essential tools for training the church and for uh, developing disciples of Jesus and just deepening our theology in general. But I did this episode with Dr. Ashley, one, because I just really like mixtape theology, but also because um, the role of music, as we're discussing in this series, plays a very significant uh, part in shaping our theology, whether it's the hymns and praise songs that we listen to in our own personal space, at home, at work, uh, in our cars, or the songs that we choose to sing on Sunday mornings or whenever you gather with other believers. So this is just two guys sitting down to think critically about the importance of music and how we should be thinking critically about the kinds of songs that we are filling our spaces with um, as they do play a significant role in shaping our theology and what we think about God and others. A few other important notes. Since this episode came out, Mixtape Theology, which for those of you who don't know, is a podcast. We talk about it a little bit here in the episode. Um, Since this episode originally came out, Mixtape Theology has released an entire devotional book now. Um, Just came out within the past month or so, maybe two months now. And uh, I'll put a link for it in the description of this episode if you want to check it out. There'll be a link there for Mixtape Theology in general if you want to check out their show and blog and other things. Um, you know, we, we poke at each other a little bit on social media, so I like to I want to make sure that I support my friends here. And lastly, this show, um, this episode rather, this uh, the audio is not great this is the old the old way of recording my seminary life so the audio is a little rough admittedly but hang in there um hang in there it's a good conversation also uh shout out to Lori for supporting the show because this also predates when we had buy me a coffee okay well now enjoy the show Hey, Brandon, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Can you hear me okay? I can. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can. Yep. Absolutely. All right, cool. And if you hear a fussy baby in the background, that's because it should be nap time. <laughs> hey, man, how old your baby? He uh, just turned two months. Wow. And is this your first? Yes. Wow, I can't imagine being in seminary when my baby was born. <laughs> yeah, 
not too much left. I only I graduate this coming spring, so well, that's here's cool. hoping. Now, are you in a <laughs> are you in a ministry position somewhere as well, or do you work somewhere else, or what? What all do you do? I am in between ministry positions right now. I was serving as an youth ministry intern this past uh, school year, and I'm currently talking to a church in the area about coming on to be a pastoral intern with their church. I'm also a traveling preacher, so I go around churches here in Northwest Indiana, the Chicago area, covering pulpits for churches who, um, you know, they don't have a pastor or on vacation or sabbatical. So that's a little bit of my bio. Yeah. Yeah. I just took my sabbatical for 20 years here at the same church. So it was great. Um, So, yeah. uh, Now, what seminary are you, do you go to? I'm taking classes online because it's a little bit simpler that way, although I prefer the classroom. Uh, But I'm taking them through Grace Theological Seminary in Warsaw, Indiana. Oh, okay. Well, good. And it's going well? It is. It is. I've been enjoying it. I like the academic world, you know, homework and testing quizzes. They can be a burden sometimes, but I do actually like studying and writing papers. So it's not all bad. Yeah. I enjoyed my seminary life. I mean, I, I got my undergrad in music and I enjoyed my music classes, but as far as all the other academic stuff i mean i did fine and did what i had to do but i wouldn't say i enjoyed it but then for my mdiv and my doctorate uh, it, it was a completely different feel i mean there were stressful times but i actually enjoyed just about every class i took and a lot of it was really nice. practical and it's exciting learning new stuff so yeah I, I i'm with you the uh the only downside has been my brain is not wired for foreign languages. So Greek and Hebrew have been very stressful. Yeah, that was tough for me as well. I, you know, I started off great in Hebrew. And then by the time the course was over, you know, I started out with an A and then like near the end, I'm like, all right, I hope I'm going to pass this. Um, <laughs> yep. And then, um, and then, and it was just so, just so odd and parsing those Hebrew, I oh, know, a different thing, and reading right to left, and I man, I, it was just weird. Um, and then Greek was <laughs> fine. Um, you know, the thing is, if you don't use it, you lose it. So it's been so long. So I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know enough to get myself in trouble and find answers. But am I translating Greek texts every week for a sermon? I'm not. You know, but but it's good to have those tools. But I yeah, I kind of struggled a little bit through that myself. Yeah, every once in a while, I impress myself. I'll get my Greek New Testament out just to check one thing, and I can bumble stumble my way through a sentence still. Right, right, right. Yeah. Hey, that's why they have Strong's concordances. We're just going to really streamline this. (laughs) Well, hey, I appreciate you um, let me on today. Um, I'll try to do the best I can. You know, you got a pretty cool podcast going there. So, thank you. I. I've really enjoyed listening to mixtape. I checked I just listened to earlier today the uh uh church camp episode just came out recently and I was listening to that one earlier. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Those are two of my buddies that are kind of career camp guys. And so we thought, 
you know, everything we do is not just uh, music and theology. We try to throw some culture and we thought that would be a fun one to do. So it, we think it turned out pretty good. It was fun. Nice. Well, shall we get started then? Sure, absolutely. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to One More Thing, the bonus podcast episode from My Seminary Life, where we go deeper into the current conversation. This week, I'm starting a brand new class called Communication in Ministry, which at first I was like, Am I going to learn how to write emails? What does that even mean? But what it looks like is that this class is going to be all about the different ways that truth is communicated through a church's ministry. Preaching being the main focus there, at least right off the bat. And so for today's episode, I wanted to talk about the role music plays in shaping our theology, because that is another way that truth is communicated. So I've brought on one of the hosts from the Mixtape Theology Podcast, Dr. Ashley Mofield. Dr. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandon. It's great to be here. So before we get into the actual uh, conversation today, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what Mixtape Theology is all about. Sure, absolutely. Um, I am a senior pastor at a church um, just north of Nashville, Tennessee. I've been here 21 years, so I'm full-time ministry. I came in 2001 as a student pastor and around 2008 transitioned to a senior pastor role. Uh, Before that, um, I was in seminary, did my MDiv, and actually since I've been here just a few years ago, finished my doctorate, which was great. Um, and before seminary, I actually have a background in music in my undergrad degree. I was a music major and was going to be a professional trombone player and finished that degree. But about halfway through school, um, I felt called to the ministry, but continued on with, with music and then went to seminary and uh, still do a lot of music stuff. I actually teach some music lessons on the side just to uh, to get that my creative juices flowing and did the youth praise band thing. So, so even though I'm a senior pastor now, music has always been a really big part of who I am and worship. Mm-hmm. And then the nineties CCM thing that that's what mixtape theology is all about. I have a partner, Rachel cash. And, uh, and I was actually preaching a sermon um, a, a few years ago, and I, I think I quoted lyrics to a Stephen Curtis Chapman song, and she was all excited <laughs> about that and wanted to talk to me about it, and um, and found that that we both had this love for '90s contemporary Christian music, and it was during my college years, which were very uh, influential in my Christian growth. I was feeling called to the ministry, then eventually went to seminary. She was in high school. We began to talk about just our common love, and so then we got together and said, let's write a devotional. And so that is in the works. And in the meantime, we have, um, we have started a, um, just a social media kind of thing where we have a presence on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and we have a podcast and we like to interact with the fans that have the the common love that we do. And, And it's been a lot of fun because we, 
we really look at a lot of 90s contemporary Christian music, like songs we loved then and, you know, where our theology was and how we've grown and maybe um, think of something differently or even it means more than it did then. And so it's just Hmm. been a fun adventure with something we both love. And so that's kind of what mixtape theology is all about. So a couple things from that. First off, trombone player. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, at the youth group I was serving at, we have a girl who is going off to college for harp, harp performance, to okay. be a professional harpist. And there was a period of time where we had her up there with the rest of the a youth group worship band playing the harp in the background to modern Chris Tomlin and Matt Redmond songs. It was different. <laughs> yeah. It was different. Um, hey, let let everything I, that has breath praise the Lord, right? And that is right. And bring We're gonna try it. Definitely biblical. So, yeah, it right. Just at a very literal reading, it's probably the best instrument to use. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have really enjoyed mixtape theology because. You know, we're in a time right now in the greater context of Christianity where there's a lot of scrutinizing on the 90s and early 2000s Christian pop culture, whether it be um, purity culture or just a lot of people who are coming to age now in their 20s and 30s looking back and seeing where maybe Christian pop culture failed them at different points. What's nice about mixtape theology is that you all do a great job of highlighting the good aspect of it in a sea of voices that are saying it's all bad. You're highlighting some of the best, richest songs, poking fun at some of the, you know, cliche goofy things that were so normal in the nineties. And I, keep going to your shop and so many times i have almost bought the marmalade jelly sticker or t-shirt that is the (laughs) deepest cut that is so cool (laughs) that's great yeah and that and that's why we do it i mean and we do poke fun and we you know we we try to highlight the good and then you know and then even learn from stuff that you know maybe where the 90s got it wrong that we can learn from Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember early on you did an episode, I forgot the author's name, but it was about the drawbacks to purity culture. She wrote the book, um, Talking Back to Purity Culture or something like that. I can't think of her name now. Really good interview. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Rachel did that one and they did a great job. All right, so going in now to today's topic, we're talking about how music shapes our theology and forms our theology First, first thing I wanted to ask you is, why is music so important to our faith? Why, why music of all things? Well, you know, I think a great place to start is that, like God created it. Um, I was thinking about this. You, you gave me a few questions to think about, just knowing what direction we're going, and um, and I'd recently looked at a book by by Keith and Kristen Getty who. Uh, the listeners that are aware of them, you know, I guess their most famous song is um, In Christ Alone. And but this renaissance of these new hymns that are modern, but the, but they just have such depth in their theology. And in that mm-hmm. book, the first chapter was we are created 
to sing. Like God created us to be like we are a people, a singing people. We're a people of the book, um, a singing people. It's God created us to be that. And goodness, you can go through Psalm after Psalm. I was thinking about Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with the song of praise. And and even on top of that, we're commanded to sing, you know, singing to the Lord a new song. So um, I believe that God, it's important to our faith because he created us to be a singing people. And, and as we sing, I guess it, it matters a lot of, of what we sing. And that's where the, the faith part comes. The Bible's full of so much uh, rich hymns. I mean, we look at the Psalms, and there's New Testament hymns. And then I even think about like just music in general, like you, you hear my background, love and music. And it's a pretty universal language, you know, like mm-hmm. most like it's hard to find someone that says I don't like music. Now everyone has different tastes or flavors, but there's, I believe there's something about maybe the way that God made us that it, it heightens our senses. Maybe, I don't know if that's a good way to say it or, or stirs our soul. Okay. Um, you know, he made us with minds to think about things and, and emotions and uh, a heart that gets stirred for him. Of course, there's danger to that. You know, it, it's not just mm-hmm. about, emotional thing but i do believe that god created us um as just emotional um beings and there's something about music that kind of scratches an itch for us like for for humans that that maybe nothing else does um and and again there's the dangers there you got to be careful with that but i believe it's important to our faith and goodness you can think about I mean, I, you know, a lot of the scripture that I have memorized to this day as a pastor, I'll be quoting a scripture from the pulpit in a, in a sermon, but I have it memorized because of a song that I sang in vacation Bible school and, you know, back <laughs> in the eighties, right? Like all these sure. songs that we learn and, 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 you know, we put stuff to memory and we, um, you know, we should sing about what we believe and we should believe what we sing. I really um, mm. believe that. I, I totally agree with you there on the the influence of like children's songs have on helping us memorize verses or whatnot. I'm pretty sure I was almost a teenager before I realized that I had the entire Apostles Creed memorized thanks to Rich Mullins. Yeah, like, my dad was a my dad was a big Rich Mullins fan. So I listened to a lot of his music growing up and it wasn't even until much later that I learned, Oh, this is a, this is a thing. He didn't write this whole song. He just, this is an actual document. You know, it's, it's amazing too. Like I'll hear a song, you know, I'll be in the car with my wife and it could be a Christian song or, I mean, it could be a secular song and something you haven't heard in 30 years. And so, like, you know, mm-hmm. I'll struggle sometimes to memorize, like I'm trying to memorize a scripture passage. But yet mm-hmm. my, my I can recite lyrics to a song that's 35 years old that I haven't heard. I mean, it's really a powerful tool. Sure. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, as you were talking, I was reminded, I don't know the quote verbatim. One of my favorite bands is U2. Big oh, fan I- of Bono. 
Yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge uh, U2 fan, absolutely. And uh, Bono was quoted as saying at one point uh, that all music is spiritual and it touches our soul and our spirit. And so I, I agree, you know, God created us to sing and no matter what the song may be, whether it's Christian or secular, you could put quotes around those words if you'd like, whether it's sacred or secular, uh, it touches us in a deep way and shapes us somehow. Yeah. And, and I really, I mean, in some mysterious way, like I believe that's part of why God created music, you know, as a musician, like I, like I often think of how I love the way, like the a major chord is made up and then you add a major seven or a nine and the way the the chords and it makes you feel when you hear it and then and then you throw you know deep lyrics on top of um, the way that that music stirs our souls it, it's just a great gift from god um it it, really, is. it is it is i i do not understand music theory at all i've had friends try to explain it to me but just What's always cool about listening to people talk about what you were just saying of adding this and adding that is that you can always hear the passion and like the awe behind the musician as they're talking about just how music is shaped at the ground level. Right. Yeah. I learned recently that John Newton preached a 50 something sermon series on Handel's Messiah. And ever wow. since I learned that, I've got to find that book of sermons now. That would be so fascinating. He was so inspired by that symphony. He did 50-something sermons on it. Wow. The music plays an important role. God gave us an entire hymn book mm. to the Jews and to Christians here in our Bible. How does, then, music shape our theology? You know, we're talking about communicating truth how is it that music shapes our theology yeah um you know i i i have a, a real heart for disciple making as well that's actually what i did my doctoral work on and um and that can be a lot so yeah um really there's a lot about music shaping our theology that i would say is even discipleship like you know growing in the lord us being proactive back to you know why is is music important to our faith and i think it's important just specifically to our theology because what we're singing about it should cause us you know if we're really worshiping or you know whether and that when i say worship i don't mean just on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, that's part of it. But, but when we're just living life, you know, in our car, jamming to music, like we should be thinking not, not every song, but, but if we're really thinking about the Lord, like causing us to reflect on theological truths, who God is, who we are in his story, what our identity in him is, what, you know, what is the, the story of the gospel, the redemption story, um, you know, I liken it this way. I, I've had a lot of conversations with our worship pastor. And of course, that's where music can even get, you know, really controversial. A lot of church splits happen because of music, unfortunately. And a lot of times that's just because of style. 
but when we like choose the songs that we sing, uh, I'll kind of have a three tier, like, all right, first, it, and then this is, you know, a Sunday morning choosing a song for worship. Is it theologically sound? And that, that should be the first, the first uh, thing that we consider when we, when we're maybe making a worship set. Then secondly, will people sing with it? You know, some songs are harder to sing with than others, whether it's the key or the syncopation for senior adults, or I can go into, you know, different reasons why, you know, it's easier to sing with or not. And then third, as a worship leader, you know, do I like it? Um, and which is crazy because usually that's flip flop. They kind of start with the songs they like, and then maybe will people sing it. And then the last thing is it theologically sound. And I, I think that's where you should start. Um, because the reality is there is maybe hymns that we've been singing for years that, um, when we really think about it, like, is that, is that good theology? Um, and you sing it over and over and over again for your life. And then it just becomes part of what you believe and who you are. You've been singing the same verses for years and, and maybe you learn a theological truth and say, Hey, what I've been singing all this time is not really sound theology. Um, and so I, I really think what we sing, it does shape who we are um, theologically. And so, you know, and, and to be honest with you, you know, you mentioned Bono and you too. And I, I mean, there's times that I hear theology in secular music. Um, now, mm -hmm. I, now we're not a church that uses necessarily like secular songs in worship, but, but I mean, I, I think about a lot of theological issues and a lot of the music that I like and the things that we sing about and think about and the, the ideas, um, you know, th they shape what we believe. And, um, and so, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, music really shapes our theology for sure. There was a period of about a year and a half or so, where I was preaching at this church, it was a very older congregation. Uh, they had two pastors who were in their 80s, so they just needed a break every once in a while. So that's what I would do. I would come in to provide a break for them on Sundays. And their hymnal, they sang hymns, their hymnal predated Bill Gaither. We're talking old, old hymns. And they, the, they predominantly sang songs about someday we're going to heaven. Oh, and yeah, when the that's pastor... the old joke. Yeah, with a lot of the Southern gospel music, like the joke is about 90% of the songs are just about going to heaven. So. Yep. And the, whenever I heard one of them preach, it was kind of the standard revival sermon, come to know Jesus, hellfire and brimstone type of sermon. And what I noticed was there were many, if not all of the people in that church were stagnated in their growth because nothing wrong about nothing wrong with singing about heaven, nothing wrong with, you know, getting the revival like sermons, but that when that's all that you're getting, you, you know, you're not growing. You're only hearing one message, one or two messages. Right. Well, I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I've never thought of music as discipleship. That's an interesting idea. 
Well, right. Like, I mean, you know, I preach a sermon, but our worship pastor in the, the, the songs we're singing, it, we would hope that people are growing as they're reflecting on, on the worship songs or even possibly the music that you turn on Spotify, you know, during, during the middle of your day as you're listening, as you're maybe working. Um, you know, I, I believe it is part of our spiritual growth. Um, and of course, sometimes you just want to listen to something just for fun. It's not like every song is about that. Um, sure. It's interesting you say that, you know, there, there's the passage in Ephesians where Paul said, um, you know, sing to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, like, I think when we look at, like, different congregations, um, of course, a lot of times the music's going to reflect kind of the personality of the congregation, and it's going to reflect... Um, it's going to reflect, you know, the traditions. I think biblically we should be singing like Psalms. We should be singing hymns. We should be singing new Mm -hmm. spiritual songs. Like I think there's room for all of them. One time I read an article that was really insightful and that, you know, if churches can live by this, you know, the, maybe the older generation would say, "I, I wish we were singing more new songs to, you know, reach, reach some of the, the newer, newer people and then the, uh, the, the, or the younger people and the younger people are like, man, we got to make sure we're still singing some hymns to, so that we're really um, doing something that, you know, singing songs that the older generation in like enjoys, like both seeing the bigger picture. And, and I, I think that's a, a good way to think about it. Um, and, you know, something else really interesting. I just learned this this year of, Actually, while we were in like COVID worship at our church, we kind of spread out when we came back and we were doing church in the round and we'd never done that before. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Some worship centers or sanctuaries are set up almost in a big giant circle, you know? Okay. I've been to a theater in the round. Actually, I saw Stephen Curtis Chapman in a round theater. And, And it was the greatest thing for our church because... Um, you sing to one another. So we're singing to God. I mean, it's about praising him, but it was a really incredible experience when I'm singing in worship. And then I see a 10 year old or a dear saint or someone else singing across from me, encouraging Hmm. one another in our worship, as opposed to the lights are down. Nobody can see me. I'm looking straight ahead and like, Mm-hmm. Something about worship is encouraging one another, even. And uh, I, I don't know. I've thought a lot about that since we did that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I've, I don't know if I've ever been to a church service that had it set up that way. That's definitely a new one for how you got through COVID. I, I thought I had heard all of the tricks for <laughs> COVID worship. Um, I also, shoot, had something else I wanted to say on that. No, but that's all very interesting. I like that. And you're right. We should be singing towards one another. And what better way than to actually be somewhat facing one another while we're singing? Well, in my traveling preaching, oh, I remember what I was going to say. You were talking about how you want to inspire the generations to, you know, the older generation to sing the younger song, sing the newer songs, the younger generation to sing the older songs. I'm one of some of my favorite churches, my wife and I, when I go to preach at these churches are the ones where that's what they're doing. They're 
they're singing the old hymns they're singing amazing grace they're they're singing the newest elevation worship songs and they're even getting you know i grew up in the 2000s i know some 90s ccm but i grew up in the 2000s and those worship songs are often skipped completely but you know going to these churches and hearing blessed be the name or uh blessed be your name by matt redman or shout to the lord or a lot of these popular ones from the 2000s it's those are the churches we we really enjoy the worship at. You know, you talk about those 90s kind of worship songs. I was actually thinking about one just the other day in regards to, I think I'm going to do a mixtape theology, um, maybe a, a meme about this. I, I create a lot of our memes or maybe just get a post. I was thinking about, in, so in the 90s in my youth group, we used to sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. You- Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. And, and so it sounds like such a cheesy chorus, you know, now in 2022. And, and it's easy to make fun of some of those. But I started thinking about the chorus. You came from heaven to earth to show the way you like it um, from the earth to the cross. My debt to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. I was like, wow, that that little chorus like shares the gospel about as much as any song mm-hmm. I've heard, like all the theological truths, like substitutionary atonement. And like, there's, <laughs> there's some deep stuff in Lord, I lift your name on high. And um, sometimes we sing those songs we hadn't thought about in 25 years and you grow in your theology. And it seems a little cheesy to sing it, but I'm like, wow, look at the truth here. Like, this is, this is great. I want you to know, as soon as you started singing, almost involuntarily, I started doing the hand motions. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's deeply ingrained. Yeah, yeah. On that note, uh, next thing I wanted to ask you, you know, the whole gimmick with mixtape theology is the love for 90s CCM. So I wanted to know, as the 90s CCM guy, what are some of those songs that really did shape your theology? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I can think about, there was a big song in the mid nineties um, in Christ alone. This is not the, the worship song in Christ alone. It was by Michael English. And, mm, okay. and I began to really like wrestle with sovereignty and, um, it really is all about Jesus. Um, I, I remember hearing for him where there is faith. That's early 90s there. you I bet you've never even heard that song. I don't know. Um, I'm very unfamiliar with for him outside of strange way to save the world. That's right. That's about right, it. <laughs> right. Uh, but but really grappling with the idea of what faith is. And, you know, and it was all influential for me again because i was getting out of high school in college feeling called to ministry starting seminary and and like you know back when you could actually go to a christian bookstore and buy a cd and i mean and stephen curtis chapman was one of the artists that i would you know get his cds and in the liner notes Mm. used to open those up and there would be scripture for every single song like like Mm. his his music was a product of his devotional life and where he was spiritually. And you could, you know, read about the great adventure and then or think about it and then look up the scripture passages that 
oh, wow, this is what he's talking about. And that was huge for me. Uh, like, I mean, I wasn't mm. a, a new Christian. I, I was a Christian, uh, became a Christian at a really early age. So by the time I was in college, you know, I've been a Christian for 15 years, but I was in that place where maybe the light bulb was going off in my faith and that called a ministry. And I began to dig deeper. And then, of course, one of the things about mixtape theology is, uh, you know, some of those songs that I heard now have grown and I, I see them differently. And then some of them that I was singing, I'm like, wow, I love that song. That's not good theology at all. <laughs> so I've seen both of those sides of that coin, you know. Yeah, I, I think about the songs. Like, so my parents are, uh, got married in the 90s, both believers. So I was raised very early on on Seema Chapman, Jars of Clay, Chris, Chris Rice, Clay Cross. That was a lot of the artists that I grew up listening to. But when I was in youth group, it was all about Reliant K, Hawk Nelson, David Crowder Band, right. uh, Flyleaf, John Rubin. That was all the real hot groups then. And I think, you know, David Crowder Band was very influential in my in my theology growing up because they were singing, you know, they talk about depravity and just yeah. words you don't usually hear in worship mu or in Christian music. And then you got Reliant K singing a breakup songs, which yeah. is, you know, maybe not great theology, but it, it worked for a teenage boy, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I was a youth pastor during those years. And so I, I remember like I could handle Reliant K and I think Hawk Nelson got on my nerves like, all right, guys. <laughs> but like, it's, you know, it's what they loved. And of course there were the guys, you know, to me, like Jeremy Camp was kind of the Stephen Curtis mm. of the early 2000s. There was some depth to his music. Um, and so, yeah, all those groups and Crowder, though, I mean, that that dude is still singing the gospel like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's a great influential artist for sure. Yes. Yeah, I love I, I've seen that's the guy I've seen way too many times in concert. <laughs> I love going. My wife even got me tickets one year for my birthday. It was great. Cool. Last question. Last question for uh, for you today. You know, we've we've come, we've kind of hinted at this a little bit here and there, but what are some of the disadvantages to music shaping our theology? Sure. I think you've got to take, whether it's a worship song or, you know, if it's a Christian band, you still got to realize that just because maybe they're a Christian and they're proclaiming something or singing it, or it's a song that's in the hymn book or, or on a PowerPoint slide, like just because you're singing it in church doesn't mean that it is sound in its theology. Just like, I mean, as a pastor, I encourage our congregation, like I preach a sermon, but take it to scripture. Like if there's, you know, if, if you see where I missed the mark, you know, set up a meeting, let's, let's have that discussion. And I think we got to do that with our worship songs and our, our, our music, mm -hmm. um, take it back to scripture and just be aware because the disadvantages is it can become your discipler. It can become your theology. And you and I both are going to agree as much as we love Crowder or Jeremy Camp or Stephen Curtis Chapman, those guys are 
are not the Bible. Like those are written right. songs. And so uh, we, we can't like let something else be in place of, of God's word. And if we are listening to it, then we should be seeing if it measures up to God's word. And, and then of course, you know, a lot of it, the, you can talk about the repetitiveness of stuff and, and there's a place for that where mm-hmm. you repeat something over and over again. Um, and you want to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God almighty. Um, over and over and over again because that's what's happening in heaven right now but then sometimes Mm. you can just start singing i can sing of your love forever over and over and over and over and over again and all of a sudden like you can kind of start feeling kind of dry like spiritually dry and so like you've got to be real careful about what your diet is um a lot of music a lot of christian music can be man-centered and not god-centered and Mm. uh, I don't have a problem with storytelling, um, I, you know, and I, I mean, I think we're part of the God's redemption story, but, but I want to make sure that God's getting the credit for everything and that it's not a, a prosperity gospel kind of thing, or the focus isn't on me. Sure. And there's a lot of that in CCM. We have to be on guard against that. Talking about the words getting dry Reminds me of every church who has ever sang the chorus to Awesome God by Rich Mullins. Just, and just that part. It's a wonderful song, but we just sing that part 47 times. It, it just loses a little bit of the oomph, you know? You know, and you do it so many times, and then, and then like you hear for the first time in years when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the rich. You're like, oh, wow, I forgot that that was a lyric to this right. song. He has thunder in his footsteps and light in his fists. All of a sudden, you have even a bigger grasp of the awesomeness of God. But you leave out those verses and sing it over and over again, and you can forget about, uh, yeah, what uh, what Rich Mullins was talking about in that one. Yeah. I also think, especially with modern CCM, I mean, I'm in my late 20s now, so I can fall in the group who wants to yell, oh, my music was better, these kids these days, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, I I find a lot of times with modern CCM, the stuff that's coming out right now, it's kind of like we talked about earlier, the same themes and same topics over and over again. Like there's a lot of songs about don't fear and there's a lot of songs about go love someone. And that's that's good. Those are good things to be reminded of, but that just can't be the only diet and i think back you know stephen curtis chapman's a great example as you said in the liner notes you got a taste of like oh these songs are a part of his devotional life and he's that which is how you get all these different topics and all these different themes in these different songs and i think that's a a modern difficulty we see now with ccm is that there's a lack of variety yeah, I think a lack of variety in what the songs are about and even a lack of variety in the way that they sound. And I mean, I, I don't want to pick on them. There's some great artists out there, but I've sure. got to kind of find what I want to listen to. You know, my wife listens to Christian radio now more than I do. Uh, mm. I'll listen to whatever I want to listen to, stream it, or I mean, I'm listening to talk radio or sports talk. Or, but then we get in the car <laughs> and we're listening to kind of the local christian station and in about an hour i've heard eight songs and like they all sounded the same and i just like 
I'm like, I can't hardly take this. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, want, I want God to, you know, work in some guys with their creativity. And, you know, he, here's the reality. Like back in the day, like the hymn book, the songs, mm-hmm. I'm talking about, yeah, pre-Gaither, pre, pre um, just as I am kind of stuff. Like okay. the theologians were the ones that were writing the hymns. Yeah. And, and now um, any guy that, you know, can play four chords on a guitar is now writing the songs that are shaping our theology. That's kind of scary. Like, uh, you yeah. know, my, my prayer is that that whether it's CCM artists or praise God for people like the Gettys that are writing new hymns, um, mm-hmm. that the musicians are also theologians and they're growing in their faith because, People are singing what they're putting out there. And, um, you know, that's a that's a high responsibility. So just because you got a good voice, and you play the guitar, you know, all of a sudden you're a, doesn't make you a, an expert on theology, you know. <laughs> True. But I find myself somebody back. I find myself getting more into indie Christian music. So J.J. Heller, Jenny and Tyler, that's where I'm finding maybe the theology is a little bit better but the musical richness is so much better right yeah yeah i hear you yeah well you're down there in uh tennessee so i'm sure you hear a lot of different (laughs) yeah man i'm in the we're in the heart of everything kind of whatever your style is there's a there's a place where you can go and listen to it which is great i mean it's a great place to be nice well this has been a great time i've really enjoyed getting to know you and talking about this topic today. Like I said, I've been keeping up with your podcast since about December or so. And I noticed there was a little bit going to start crying here at the end. Okay. I noticed there for a while, I started interacting with your Facebook page and then mixtapes page started interacting with mine. And I felt like I was the high school boy at a youth group trying to pick up as many chairs as possible to get everyone's attention. So I'm glad I got your attention. I'm thankful you got time to come do this episode. Why don't you tell us where can people find Mixtape Theology? Yeah, you can find us um, on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Mixtape Theology. You can go to, um, you know, just Google Mixtape Theology. And we have a website and um, there, there's content there. You can go to wherever you stream music and find our podcasts, wherever you stream your music. Just just search Mixtape Theology and you'll find the little uh, 90s cassette tape, little logo with the 90s um, 90s colors there and, uh, you know, the little pink and blue and stuff. And, you know, so so put your WWJD bracelet on and put your <laughs> True Love Weights ring on and, and just jam out, right? That's right. (laughs) And if this is the first time you're checking out My Seminary Life, you can catch brand new episodes every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to the description in this episode to find links to the website, our shop. I'll throw a link in there for the Mixtape Theology website as well. Thank you all for listening. And Dr. Ashley, that at the very end, I surprise our guest with a random question. Oh, no. And, oh, it. don't worry. Uh, and the random question for you is, you're the 90 CCM guy. 
But when you're not jamming out to classic Stephen Curtis Chapman, what are you jamming to? Man, I'm listening to 80s pop music, Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, synthesizer 80s kind of stuff. Love it. Nice. <laughs> my my mom uh, got me hooked on Wham oh, and yeah. Adam Ant when I was a kid. <laughs> yep. Nice. Well, thank you again for being here on the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, keep on studying.